is is we don't do good things because they're inherently good we do them because we want to get noticed praised and valued and brothers and sisters that's the total wrong motivation to do what we do if you do good things just so somebody will notice you praise you and add value to you you are seeking to be saved by works Hearing praise for the things you've done feels good, but if it's the reason you're helping or volunteering or giving, that's not so great. Today, that's exactly the message as Pastor Daniel walks us through Haman's actions as he tries to wiggle his way out of the mess of evil he's created. As we consider his actions, keep in mind the motivations that created them. They're the same ones that we can embrace when we seek glory for ourselves. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message entitled, God's Perfect Time. You know, for each one of us, we live our lives out loud. Everybody hears, everybody sees the life that we're living. Because we all live out loud, we have to ask ourselves the question, what actually drives or motivates the life that we're living? See, the reason we do the things that we do is because there are certain things we are hoping to see happen in the process. There's no such thing as a life that is lived without a motivation. There's something that we want to achieve, acquire, promote in the midst of it all. And oftentimes, we're so used to living that we never actually ask ourselves the questions of why we do the things that we do. And in a lot of ways, for us today, as we've been studying the book of Esther, really the thing that we keep being confronted with is we're seeing people make decisions, and we're not getting a lot of clue into what's going on in their hearts, but what the way that they act actually reveals what's in their hearts. Jesus said that, didn't he? He said that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you were to take what Jesus said and you were to apply it to your lives, whatever comes out of your mouth is actually a window into your heart. So if you can say hateful things, angry things, obnoxious things, coarse things, beautiful things uplifting things, whatever comes out of your mouth is what's in your heart. And by extension, all the things that we do give us a window into our hearts. Now, that is both, actually, no, that is just plain terrifying if you look at the totality of our lives, right? Because even some of us have really good filters on what is internal and what actually makes it external. But if you're really honest, you see the filter. Like, you're like, there's a filter there. I remember when <laughs> God's doing a good work in my life, but, you know, growing up the way that I was raised, you know, um, there was absolutely no filter between what I thought and what came out of my mouth. 
Now, you'd be amazed to know that there's a little filter now. When I first came to know Jesus, it was like if I thought it, it was already out there in public, and it was pretty brutal, you know? And and as I've walked with the Lord, I've asked him to to put a guard over my mouth so not everything gets out, and I'm grateful it doesn't, but some stuff still comes on out. But it's either way, if it comes out or if it doesn't, it's still in my heart, right? And the way that we live, we live from the heart outward. Now, what's interesting is we're in the the middle of the book of Esther right now. And the, and the point that I've been driving home is that just like Esther and just like Mordecai, each one of us are exactly where we're supposed to be right now for this moment, for such a time as this. Now, I realize that many of us don't believe that, don't want to believe that. We're like, well, look, if this is the life that I'm supposed to get, like, yeah, thanks anyway. But we have to learn how to rise up into what God has blossomed in front of us and not just spend our time wishing the details were different. And isn't that what we do? Instead of embracing life, we just wish the details were different. And all of our prayers are, Lord, just make the details different. Rather than saying, Lord, you know I want different details, but while I'm here, will you let me be your daughter, your son, for this moment in these circumstances and details? So as we continue to start, this message that we're going to see today. We're going to see how this is all unfolding now, and really everything comes out to light in in this study. But really what I want to do is I don't want to look at just the details of how it unfolds, but really what we want to look at is we want to look at the motivations in our hearts, because in your life and in my life, it's not about the change of details. We want to live our lives from a different place than what we would normally do. So open up in your Bibles to the book of Esther chapter 6. We're going to take chapters 6 and 7 today. So open up those Bibles. Esther chapter 6. Now look at what happens. Picking up in verse 1. That night the king could not sleep and one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles and they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai was told had told of Bichthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Then the king said, what honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. Verse four, so the king said, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. The king's servant said to him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said to him, let him come in. So Haman came on in. The king asked him, what shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman answered the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has ridden, which has a royal crest placed upon his head. Then let this robe and horse be delivered to the hand of the one to the king's most noble princes, that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him on horseback throughout the city square, and proclaim before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor." 
Then the king said to Haman, hurry, take the robe and the horse as you have suggested and do so for Mordecai the Jew who sits within the king's gate. Leave nothing undone of all that you have spoken. So Haman took the robe and the horse, arrayed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Now, Think about where we are in this story. Esther just had her first banquet. She invited the king. She invited Haman. And really, she's waiting for the right moment to be able to share with her husband, the king, King Xerxes, about this plan that's going to take not only her life, but the life of all the Jewish people, a plan that was hatched in the heart of Haman because of his fragile ego, his need for honor, all these things, right? And... Esther decides, listen, I'm not going to tell him at the first banquet. So she has her first banquet. She says, listen, can we do another banquet tomorrow? And and I'll tell you what I want tomorrow. And sure enough, everyone's happy. Haman leaves this banquet. He's delighted. He's been hanging out at a special banquet just for the king and him by the queen. A high honor. But then he sees Mordecai. And Mordecai does not tremble at his presence. Mordecai is not impressed with Haman. Isn't giving Haman what he desires. And so Haman goes home, and he tells his wife and his friends, and he's, man, I'm so awesome, but this one guy, Mordecai, does, he just eats my lunch. Not really, but figuratively. I'm so happy, except for this one guy doesn't think I'm big stuff. And his wife and his friends say, you know what you should do? You should build some gallows, 75 feet high. And re- literally, the gallows, I haven't, I don't think I've explained this yet. When we think of gallows, we think of where someone gets hung, but really, they get hung, but there's also a sword that comes up the ballot. It's really death by being impaled. So it's kind of brutal. Not, yeah, don't do it at home. <laughs> no good. You know? And so Haman, and they're like, listen, once you get rid of Mordecai, you'll be happy. And Haman's like, that's great. Let's do it. They build the, they build the gallows. They're ready to go. I mean, this is like, this is exciting, Right? So this is where we are in the story. And he's going to go back into the king, and he's going to tell the king, you need to get rid of this Mordecai right now, and then I'm going to go, and I'm going to have a great time at Esther's banquet. That's where this lands. And then, once again, and I've told you this, in the book of Esther, God's name is not mentioned, but God is all over this thing, right? It's not luck. God is all over this thing, because look at what happens. In chapter 6, verse 1, it says, that night the king could not sleep. So the king is having some problems settling down. He can't go to sleep. So I don't know about what you do when you can't go to sleep, but this is what the king does. So one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles, and they were read before the king. So for this king, when he he couldn't sleep, instead of counting sheep or reading IRS tax law or whatever the thing is, he had them bring on out the records of the chronicles of his kingdom. He figured, man, if I can't fall asleep on my own, this stuff is surely a snoozer, so I'll just take care of it. Now, what's interesting is he can't sleep. He gets the records brought in, and it says in verse 2, and it was found written that Mordecai had told of Bichthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. Now, think about the timing of all of this. Mordecai is going to be sold up the river by Haman the next morning. Haman cannot wait to get rid of Mordecai. And Mordecai 
looked out for the king. And we had read about that, hadn't we? All the way back in chapter two, we found out that God's people do something. He found out that there was a plot against the king's life and Mordecai stepped on up to the plate for such a time as this and protected the king. The king's just finding out about it right now. What does this teach us? This teaches us that the good you do will come out. The good that you do will come out. It will see the light of day. Now, for most of us, the problem is, is we don't do good things because they're inherently good. We do them because we want to get noticed, praised, and valued. And brothers and sisters, that's the total wrong motivation to do what we do. If you do good things just so somebody will notice you, praise you, and add value to you, you are seeking to be saved by works. You're seeking to have an identity based upon the praise of other people. And let's be honest, don't we all struggle with that? How often do you do something good, and if you don't get the response that you want, you get all frustrated about it? I was so nice to you. You got to ask yourselves, who are you doing it all for? Listen, you will free your spouse up from all sorts of issues if you live your life as unto God and let your spouse get the benefit than doing it as unto your spouse who's unthankful, not always the nicest person, all that stuff. See, the Bible teaches us that we live life vertically and everybody on the horizontal axis gets the blessing of that. But for many of us, we live on the horizontal axis and we hope that maybe God will get glory, but we're really doing it to prop ourselves up in our own hearts rather than saying, God, I do good because you are good and I am becoming like you. And it doesn't matter what anybody else says because God, you are good. And what we find out here is that the good that you and I do, it will come out at some juncture, but we don't do it so that somebody will praise us. Brothers and sisters, listen, how many of us, we live on a roller coaster of emotion because we do everything because we want someone to notice. Pastor Chuck Smith of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, used to tell this story. Uh, if you don't know about him, there was, a, there was a revival in Southern California in the late 60s and the early 70s that they called the Jesus Movement. And it was happening in Southern California, and Pastor Chuck Smith was part of a uh, a little church called Calvary Chapel that became really large because this revival was happening and they were reaching hippies. Now, what was amazing is this Pastor Chuck was much older. He was definitely not a hippie, wear a suit to church kind of a guy. And he's got all these hippies everywhere. And sure enough, as Costa Mesa was growing, all these hippies were still smoking and everything. And they didn't realize that they should curb their cigarette butts and they'd leave them all in the parking lot. And Pastor Chuck would go into the parking lot and he'd find all these cigarette butts. He'd pick them all up. But he would tell the story that as he was picking up all these cigarette butts, he was grumbling and complaining. Why don't these hippies clean up their stuff? Smoke it, you know. And he said that God spoke to him. He said, I'm doing a work in them. Can you be patient with them? Why are you grumbling? Why are you complaining? Is this not my work? 
And do I even care if your parking lot is clean? See, how often do we do something so that someone will give us some positive reinforcement as opposed to saying, I'm going to do what is good because it's good, because it's right, and I trust God to bring the good things that I do to pass. See, Mordecai risked his life for the king, and nobody even noticed it. There was no response. But notice what happens in verse 3 here. And the king said, what honor, verse 3, or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. Mordecai risked his life to save the king, and nobody even said a word. Not even a thank you card. Hey, uh, that was really kind of you. Good looking out, bro. A little fist pump from the king. Nothing. There was no response. But the good that you do will come out. Listen to what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret himself will reward you openly. That's one of the craziest statements in the Gospels for me. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. What he's saying is, go back to the innocence of the Garden of Eden where you're doing all your good without self-awareness. That you don't even know what your other hand is doing. You are just living out good because God is good and you're only doing it because God is good and there's no other reinforcement that you want other than knowing that God sees and knows. See, so much of the struggles that we have is not that we don't know what to do, it's just that we're driven by a different motivation that will make us do things that we really don't want to do, but we're doing it so that someone will see, that someone will know, or we're so frustrated with someone that we're going to do something to hurt them, which only hurts ourselves. We're so frustrated, I'm going to show them, I'm going to teach them a lesson, and all you really do is you hurt yourself because... You're not being good like God is good. So, brothers and sisters, we need to mind our motivations. When you do good as God is good, at some juncture, that good will see the light of day because God will bring it out into the open. And it might never happen this side of eternity, but God has the book of life, the roles. God doesn't miss anything. So be good because God is good, and that good will come out. Now, in this story, this has to happen right now. Because look at what goes on. The king finds out nobody has ever honored Mordecai for this. Verse 4. So the king said, who's in the court? Now, Haman had just entered the outer courts of the king's palace to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And so the king's servant said to him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said to him, let him come in. 
So Haman came in and the king asked him, what shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman answered the king, for the man to whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has ridden, which has a royal crest placed on its head. Then let this robe and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that the king may array the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. So sure enough, the king's like, I need to honor this man who did good. Who's around? He asked him. Oh, hey, Haman just got here. Haman was up bright and early, wasn't he? He was ready. He could not wait to talk to the king because he was ready to get rid of the man who wasn't honoring him. He's like, okay. They're like, hey, Haman's here. He's like, well, bring him in. And the king says to him, Haman, what should the king do to a man who he wants to honor? And Haman thinks to himself, well, there ain't nobody better than me, so what do I want? That's what he says. What do I want? And what's amazing is, is about Haman is, of course, we already know that Haman is filthy rich. He's totally wealthy, so he doesn't need money. He's already the most prominent person in the kingdom. So he's like, you know what I want? I want the king's highest honor. I want him to let me wear his robes, his own personal robes, ride his own horse. I want you to publicly honor him. Honor this one. See, you realize that, right? Even though our culture says that you and I are valued by compensation materially, really, that's not how you value yourself or shouldn't be. Don't get me wrong, you gotta pay your bills. But if all you do is value yourself based on material compensation, then you're totally just being, you're living in a material world and you're a material girl. <laughs> if you guys know who that was sung by, you're sinners. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, the joys of extemporaneous public speaking. But it's true, right? It's like really what you want is you want to be the honor that comes from the king. That's really how we value ourselves. And we talked about that, didn't we? I think it was last week. That really the honor we want is the honor that comes from the king. But what's interesting about Haman is that Haman's actually on the right track. Let me explain to you why. This is what we learned from this. You and I need to live the golden rule. We need to live the golden rule. Many of you have heard of the golden rule before. It's amazing. It's actually spoken of by Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Here's the golden rule. Matthew 7, 12. Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. Whatever you want someone to do to you, do also to them. That's the golden rule. It's the God's perfect, tweetable look at Christian ethics right there. Whatever you want people to do to you, treat them that way. And what's amazing is, is that Haman wants whoever the king is going to honor, he wants them to be honored by the king in the most intimate and personal way. But what's amazing is, is Haman wants it for himself, but he would never want that for Mordecai. And that's the problem. Jesus is We do it's right because it's right. Otherwise, we're living for others, 
Mordecai risked his life for the king and nobody noticed. We heard how Haman was solely seeking glory for himself, but that self-serving life led only to destruction. We're so happy that you're a part of the Jesus is Real Radio family. Jesus is Real Radio is a listener-supported program. We want to let the whole world know that Jesus is real. Your donations help make this possible. You can become a monthly supporter or give a one-time gift by text message. It's easy. Simply text your gift to 855-910-8300. That's 855-910-8300. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have become a regular part of our everyday lives. And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out Pastor Daniel's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links. Pastor Daniel shares two-minute video messages throughout the week on his Facebook page. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow Pastor Daniel. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Mordecai and Haman both receive their just desserts. The man who sought honor won't get it. But the man who sought to do good will be recognized. Both evil and good are made known. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series entitled, For Such a Time. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio.